Welcome to the Messiah Podcast. We are so glad you tuned in today. Whether you are driving, doing chores, or taking a walk, we hope the Lord quiets your head and your heart to hear truth and be challenged through His Word. Without further ado, let's dive into the message. Let us go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We are continuing our long saga of going through the Torah, uh, the first five books of the, New Te- of the Old Testament. Um, we have been with Moses for quite some time, and now we are in, in the book where he's giving his concluding speech to, his, to the people of Israel. And uh, so as you turn there, you'll notice throughout the course of uh, the message today in the slides, there's going to be a little number at the very bottom, and that's a number, you, it's a church number church cell phone number. You can actually text it, and you can ask a question. So if there's anything that pops up in your little head about something that you hear in the message or reading in the scripture or whatever it is, I invite you, please text it in. I can't respond at the very end of the service today like I'd like to, but uh, I will respond via text. I'll kind of hammer it out. So would love to engage with that, and uh, be very, very excited to talk more about it. So Deuteronomy 6. We read in Deuteronomy 6 the greatest prayer in all of Judaism. It's kind of like the Apostles' Creed of Judaism right here. This is a prayer that's been called, come to be called the Shema because that's the first Hebrew word in the prayer. So there you go. Uh, it's a prayer. It's a confession of faith. It's a commandment, and it goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your strength. This is the passage that Jesus is quoting in the New Testament when he has asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second being, love your neighbor as yourself. And the entire counsel of God, the teaching of the entire Bible, is summed up in these two commandments, love God and love your neighbor. But have you ever felt like the command to love God was a little bit intangible? Like, uh, it reminds me of the story of the little boy who was, trying to, who was woken up by a thunderstorm, and he was really scared, and he went to his parents' room, and he got his dad up. He says, Daddy, Daddy, I'm scared. And so his father gets up, rubbing sleep from his eyes, and walks him back to his room. It's still storming. It's still raining. It's still very kind of chaotic outside. And he said, Daddy, can you stay with me until I fall asleep? And father's just like, I, I want to go to bed. <laughs> I want to go back to my own bed. And he says, son, it's okay, buddy. God's with you. He's with you all the time, and he's going to be with you uh, throughout the night, so you're okay. And, he's, and the little boy, he thinks about it for a second, turns it over in his little mind, and then he says, okay, but dad, I'd really like someone here with skin on. And isn't that how it is, right? Like, that's what I mean by intangible. We know what it's like to love a person. We know we can feel them, we can touch them, we can speak to them one-to-one, and they can speak to us in very much the way that we—that's how we have relationship. And so when we talk about loving God, it's a little bit—it's mm, like a little intangible. And so, nonetheless, a real personal relationship with God is possible. Like, you can feel a connection to the Lord. The, the classic framing of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that's, that's real. That's absolutely uh, 100% what God intends for us. Because truly, the Old and New Testaments reveal to us a personal, passionate, loving God who desires to know us and to be known by us. 
And so today we are just going to like spend a lot of time just ruminating and meditating on the love of God because I think we just get into the pattern of, of yeah, I, I, God's love is amazing. Like he's so good. God is so great. And then you start thinking about it and you start saying, God's love is amazing because that's what I, want, that was what I would hope for you today. As you walked in here and I would say, isn't God's love just great? You'd be like, yeah. Yeah, God's love is great. And then you want to, what I hope as you leave, you'll be like, God's love is great. Like, wow, that's amazing. And so that's where we want to go. That's what I want to do and what that would imply for how we respond to him, okay? Because the entire book of Deuteronomy is all law. It's all like do, do, do. And it has to come from somewhere. And it can't come from fear. It has to come from love. And God has loved us incredibly. And we're going to see that. We're going to meditate on that. We're going to reflect on that together. So jumping back into Deuteronomy 6, we're going to focus on just a few verses here today. And it's going to be the Shema. It begins with verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You know, if you think about it, it really is pretty incredible that the God of creation, the God of the universe, who is all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful, he's presented as wanting love. That's what the commandment is. Love the Lord your God. He wants love. Isn't that interesting? Why would a God like that want something like that from us who are just so infinitesimally small? You think about the scale of the universe. You've ever watched anything about the size of our universe. It's just like, what, what are we? I mean, we're smaller than a dust moat. I mean, there's, there's just nothing that compares to the size of the universe. And the God who made it, who's spoken into being, he says, I want your affection. I want a relationship with you. I want you to love me because I love you. And that should just like right away just blow our minds. And so what this means is that the God of the Bible is the original image of what is merely reflected in us. We all have that yearning and that longing for love. I mean, it's in music, it's in television, it's in film, it's in art. There is this core human desire that we have to, to love and be loved to desire and be desired. They, that is just part of who we are. It's everywhere in everything we create, everything that we do. And God feels this way. He feels it so profoundly And some of the core metaphors for God's love toward us, his people, is of a parent-child relationship and of a husband-wife relationship. In fact, I would dare say that, I don't, I don't have word count right now, but husband-wife relationship, that's probably the predominant metaphor used in the prophets in the Old Testament. And in Jeremiah 31, 20, God talks about his people like they are his sons. So here's an, here's an example. He says, Is not Ephraim my dear son, the child in whom I delight? Though I often speak against him, I still remember him. Therefore my heart yearns for him. I have great compassion for him, declares the Lord. And in spite of Israel's continued unfaithfulness, the prophet Hosea uh, writes about God's longing for Israel like a husband after his wife, saying, I will betroth you to me forever. 
I will betroth you in righteousness and in justice and love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. I will show my love to the one I have called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. And we can look at the emotional, visceral language in those passages. We have delight, yearn, compassion, love, betrothed, faithfulness. These are all the verbs and the feelings that God has for us. That's what the Bible is illustrating and demonstrating throughout the entire witness of Scripture. And what's even more incredible is that God is the initiator. He's the one that started, who starts loving, Right? And for those of you who are currently married or, or dating or whatever, right, I, I would imagine, I'd venture to say that your love for one another did not begin at immediately the same time, right? It was he saw her, she saw him, there was some kind of initial conversation, small talk, and that, there was that fire, that burn of like, I, I like that person a lot, you know, and you wanted to be with them, and soon before you knew it, you're just making up excuses to be in the same room, in the same places with that person. You don't need to be there, there's no way you need to be there, but you want to be there, right? Like, that's, that's how it was, Maybe you remember the first time you held hands. First time you shared a kiss. Your heart's thumping. The butterflies are having a WWE wrestling match inside your stomach. And for those of you who have kids, right, we have a beautiful little boy right down here. Incredible. Like, I mean, you felt that when you held your baby for the first time. When you held that child... Maybe you had skin-to-skin contact as a mom. You're just feeling that, that little child against you. And your, your little fingers wrap around your finger. It's love, right? I mean, this, this is love. This is the most beautiful thing, pretty much, out there. And, and we are captured. And these are the word pictures, friends. I mean, the whole point of this, expanding this, these are the word pictures that the Bible is using to describe God's love for his people. The Apostle John reminds us, we love because he first loved us. So thinking about the Shema again, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Recognize that that starts with God. It originates from the heart of God who pursues us, who that, that the command of God is actually true of him toward us. And the Bible says that God, his love is everlasting. It has no beginning and no end. It just, it is like the, where anything that we experience as love, it comes from him. And so God's not commanding us, he's not commanding you do something toward me that I am not doing. To, he's, he's doing it. He's doing it perfectly and completely and fully toward you. Like, he's, just, he's just hoping for reciprocity. And so what's really profound to me about the Shema, it says God wants us to love him with all our heart, with all our soul, and our strength. So we're going to step into a little bit of Hebrew right now. Hebrew, the word for heart is levav. And the ancient Hebrews believed that the heart, it pumped blood. It got blood into your veins. 
but they also believed, they didn't have a concept of, of, of thought and, and think, head thought, right? It was everything, this was the seat of emotion, the seat of human decision-making. That was the heart in Hebrew. And you see that in the language all throughout the Bible, you know, the desires of the heart, the wisdom in the heart. Like, that's where you made decisions, that's where you felt, that's where love comes from, that's where all these things are stirred up. And so the heart is the seat of human emotion and decision. And so that's, that's basically everything, right? That kind of captures everything as far as uh, feeling is concerned. And then to go on to the word soul, love the Lord with God with all your soul, that was the word nephesh. And nephesh literally refers to your throat. And it became metaphorically to refer to someone's whole being. And if you think about it, the throat is that, that part of your body that you take in everything you need for this body and life. You need air, food, water. It, it is the kind of the vehicle through which you get everything you need for your whole being. And so nephesh became a, someone's whole being. And so it's not, soul is not a great translation. It's really your entire person. Because in Hebrew thought, you didn't have a nephesh, you were a nephesh. You're a living person. And so that kind of covers, again, everything. And then the next word for strength is an interesting translation because me'od, which is the Hebrew word, translates to much or very. It's an adverb. Any grammar nerds out there? It's an adverb. It's not a noun. It's not an adjective. It's just very, very descriptive, right? <laughs> That's what it is. It's translated very or much. And so what this really could translate to, and this is exceptional in the entire uh, Old Testament, you don't see mayod translated like into anything like, a, like strength or anything like that. It's really muchness. Love God with all your muchness. And so that would then indicate that we just need to love God with everything we've got. Okay? So if you're tracking here, what this, is, this Shema is saying, love the Lord your God of everything you feel, everything that you have, your being, and everything you've got, just your muchness. Like, just bring everything to the table. And why would we do that? Because this is actually how much God loves you. With everything he feels, everything he is, and everything he's got. And this is how chief, Israel chiefly felt and experienced this when God rescued them from slavery in Egypt. You and I experience this when we consider the cross of Jesus. And what God has done for us is that he has sent his son Jesus to die for us and be raised for us so that we might have eternal life in him. Because God, he was not content to have only a small slice of humanity— but actually pursued relationship with every single one of us and became a human being so that we could be reconciled to himself because we were broken and sinful. And Titus chapter 3 says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. That is the, that's the 
object of God's affection. That's us, right? Before, before us. I mean, he already loves us in that moment. But then when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, certainly not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Or as Hosea might say it, he betrothed you to him forever in love and compassion and faithfulness. And so I, what I want you to think about the love of God, I want you to think about it and how you please God and how you uh, make him happy, if you were, if you will. I want you to think about it, how you view your children, your significant other, just the person that you just want to do things for. And I know it's like when you talk about and like comparing your relationship with God and your relationship with your spouse, I mean, for the, some of the men in here, you're like, that's a weird image. I don't care. That's just how it is, guys. That's what the Bible says. We're going there. And so, I mean, think about the traditional wedding vows. We say, do you take so-and-so to be your husband and wife, to have and to hold, to love and to cherish— for richer, for poor, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, through death do us part. When we conclude those vows, we don't say, I'll try. That would be a really lame wedding. And I'd make everyone uncomfortable. I'll ch- like the one that says, I do, I'll try. Ugh, yikes. We say, I do, because loving the person you're getting married to should ideally be something you're excited to do. God has already vowed covenant faithfulness with you. He sent Jesus. He's, he's died for you. He's risen for you. There's, there's, he's, he's already put his heart out there. His guts are on the table. It's his delight and pleasure to serve and love you. That's who he is. And ideally, since we now know who he is, we've reflected, we've meditated, we've believed in this, it should then be our pleasure to love and serve him in return. Should it not? Like, are you tracking? Like in my marriage with my kids, I, it's not when I see their contentment and their delight, that's, that's my delight. That's my contentment. I'm excited about that. That makes me happy. I'm happy when they're happy. Like, I don't always love the act necessarily of doing the dishes or taking out the trash or wiping baby butts. But I do it because I know it's going to help them, it's going to bless them, it's going to serve them, and it's going to make me feel happy because they're happy. We like to do this with people we love. It's how it goes in dating. The man's a gentleman. He holds open the door. He, he pays for the meal. He tries to make a good dinner, like, at home and make it sort of romantic, you know? Like, we, we attempt... Um, men as, as fragile as we are. Uh, you know, we like to do things for each other. And with our kids, you know, it's the nature of gift giving. At Christmas time, you don't give a kid, your kid, a gift because that gift is really getting you excited. You don't, right? I mean, dolls and all these things, that makes them super stoked and, and they're just jazzed about it. Not me. Like, and that's the case. When I was in, when I was in the mid-90s, the Nintendo 64 came out. 
I was just all about playing games and, and, and gaming. And my parents, they couldn't wrap their heads around it. Not, not even one whit. God bless them. My dad would try and play some video games with me every so often. And he was, it was just kind of like that meme where the, the, the lady's like staring out and it's like computations like all around. Just like, uh, don't, even, don't even know what's happening. But they made, it made me happy. And they got it for me because I knew they would make me happy and they were happy. So the point is, is that it is natural in a loving relationship to serve, obey, respect, respond to the one we love. And if you get, if you feel the love of God, that he's head over heels in love with you, that he has died for you, that he's risen for you, that he's, he's just for you, right? If we can see that, then we can see God's commandments in a new perspective, not as primarily crushing or condemning, but as commands that are just like, wow. This is like God's, it would make me happy if. Yeah, I, I want to do that, Lord, for you. Jerry Bridges writes in his book, The Pursuit of Holiness, the daily experience of Christ's love is linked to our obedience to him. It's not that his love is conditioned on our obedience, that would be legalism, but our experience of his love is dependent upon our obedience. See, I can tell you about God's love all day long, but I cannot make you experience it. You can't, it's like you gotta, you gotta go on the date. You gotta go and give your kid the present in order to experience the, the relationship, right? The joy and the delight in that. That's why it says in the latter part of Deuteronomy 6, do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you. And it's why Jesus says in, uh, in John chapter 15, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be, may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So when you hear the Ten Commandments or the Sermon on the Mount or the epistles of Paul, you look at the, the rest of this, this book of Deuteronomy and you see these laws, some challenge you, some um, strike you, some make you squirm a little bit. I, I would encourage you to see these as invitations from their requests from the lover of your soul who's just saying, hey, it would make me really happy if... But not only that, God's saying, it's, it's in Deuteronomy, that it may go well with you. This is, the, the law isn't designed to just crush you and make you feel terrible. It's just it's like, I kind of made the world and I kind of know how it works. And I think if you would just walk in this, in this wisdom, in this path, I mean, you're going to feel delight and joy and fulfillment and all the good things for human thriving. Like, God didn't design the law to destroy us. He designed it to bring, breathe life, right? And we can see it that way because of what we've received in Jesus. We've received salvation apart from works. So we can then, because we've been accepted, we can obey in a new way. We can respond in a new way. Because God wants to do, we, want, we should do the things that God promises to bless. And we will experience his blessing if we do them. And so now I'll end with this. The Lord your God loves you with everything he feels, 
everything he is, everything he's got. What will it look like for you this week to love him in return? What's that thing, that, that, act, that action, that thing that he's been poking you on, that prodding, that conviction, that leading? What is the thing that, is, that God is inviting you toward? Let's pray on that together. God, your love is incredible. You've loved us with everything you feel, everything you are, everything you've got. And it is profoundly humbling that you would consider us, who are so infinitesimally small in the scheme of the universe, to be so worthy, so desirable. And as Titus says, we are we certainly weren't much to look at, as it were, before we received your grace and salvation. But now, Lord, we're asking that you would lead us to respond to your profound and generous and prodigal love. That you would cause us to experience it. Cause us to reflect on it, to meditate on it, to see it in the cross of Jesus and in the empty tomb. And that we would respond in kind. That it would, that we could say with, with the words of scripture, it, it, I am pleased to do your will. We'd echo the words of Jesus, that we would remain in his love as you have remained in, as he remained in your love, Father. Help us that our joy would be complete. Thank you, Lord. Come Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. We hope you are challenged and encouraged to walk in truth in your every day. Please share with friends and family, and we can't wait to have you next time on the Messiah Podcast.